Hi everybody and welcome to Marketplace Jungle, where we explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. Brought to you by eChameleon, I'm your host Jesse Bragg. Today's episode is a slightly different format designed to help you as a marketplace seller understand more about specific marketplace channels and work out if it's a viable expansion opportunity for your business. Frugo is a UK-based marketplace, but you wouldn't know it. International first, Frugo is built from the ground up to help sellers expand internationally without headache. Translation, currency, conversion, and the rest, Frugo aims to remove all barriers to help you reach your customers in new markets. You just need to get the product to them. Tony Preedy is CEO at Frugo and was previously Director of Marketing and International Development at Lakeland, as well as the Brand Director for Littlewoods. For many brands, marketplaces are a questionable next step, but in this episode, Tony explains from his own experience as a brand director how Frugo can help brands to increase their reach without impacting their messaging. In this episode, expect to learn how Frugo works and how you can start selling there, what Frugo does differently to help brands succeed, how Frugo 10x'd its business in recent years, why you shouldn't send product data which is designed for your website to marketplaces, how Tony looks at marketplaces from his perspective as a brand director, and much more. Unfortunately, there were a few audio issues with Tony's microphone in this recording, so I apologise in advance if it's a bit tricky to hear him at times, but a great audio editor on Fiverr did a really good job of cleaning up what he could, so it's not quite perfect, but the content and insights from Tony are well worth the listen, so I hope you can make it through. Also, if you're interested in selling on Frugo after this, do feel free to get in touch with me to find out how eChameleon can help with this. We connect directly to Shopify, Shopware, um, basically any system that you would need us to connect to to make that happen. Anyway, with no further ado, let's jump into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Preedy. Tony, thank you so much for joining on Marketplace Jungle. Obviously, here we want to talk about the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. And Frugo is a fantastic option for, for any marketplace seller that's looking for a new opportunity to expand outside of the Amazon ecosystem. And obviously, as, as CEO of Frugo, you're a fantastic person for me to have this conversation with. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time today. Um, before we jump into talking about Frugo, I'd love to understand Tony. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your journey to into e-commerce, into marketplaces, and how you got to where you are today. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Wow. So um, I guess my career goes back three decades now, and I started life in um, home shopping businesses, catalog businesses, um, sort of pre-internet, back even before office computers, that sort of shows my age. But I was, I guess, schooled in direct marketing and uh, sales attribution, response analysis, segmentation, predictive modeling, um, all, all of that data stuff, which was um, what those home shopping businesses were founded on, I guess. And so I, I spent the best part of uh, nearly 20 years in sort of living in that world, sending out direct mail, and then subsequently sort of as the digital part of e-commerce sort of took off then that became much more about email and social media and websites and so on um, so I, I guess i started as a graduate trainee i left as director of marketing services for the, what is now the very group i went from there to be the marketing director of a company called otto the sand which is well known in the uk but is perhaps better known as 
its operating brands, which is Freeman's, Grattan Catalogs, and also uh, what is now the every part of delivery businesses. It it was part of that that business when I was there. I spent 10 years working for a business called Lakeland, which is a multi-channel kitchenware company based up in the northwest of England, in Cumbria. And there I was director of marketing. So again, catalogs, but also digital home shopping, uh, but stores as well. So sort of working in a physical environment. So that took me also abroad because part of the way in which we expanded Lakeland was to franchise the brand in the international markets. And so operated around 20 stores in the Gulf region of the Middle East and also sold the franchise in Australia and India. So that really sort of um, got me really interested in international, although although the job at Otto had also had an international component because that was a lot about exchanging information, best practice data and, and other things with group companies across, across the world. Otto had 123 companies within their group. Best practice sharing was a big part of their their culture. But then for the last four years, I've moved to Frugo. So uh, moved into uh, pure e-commerce, into digi- pure digital, sort of away from that multi-channel world somewhat, and um, was brought on board by the shareholders to design and deliver a growth strategy. And that was in 2018, since when the business has grown tenfold. So we, we've gone from six and a half million of revenue in 2018 to 65 million of revenue in the year just closed, 2022. Um, Business is growing really fast, um, continues to grow fast, and and we think we'll continue to to grow because there is simply a great demand for the service we offer, which is risk-free sales growth for retailers. And hey, which retailer doesn't need more sales growth? Um, At the moment. For sure. So we're a services business for retailers. We help accelerate their sales. We allow them to use the data they've already got in their business to generate incremental revenue from markets that they would otherwise find very difficult to access. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's that's incredible growth for, I mean, okay, like there, there's something to be said for the fact that during that time we had a, a, an e-commerce boom anyway, but that's really incredible to 10x that in such a, such a short period because Frugo has been around for a while. I remember, you know, we were we were helping people sort of get started on Frugo, right? But in the early days, in my in my old position at an agency, and we were helping sellers start going on Frugo. But it was it was quite small back then. But now we're talking real numbers, and that starts to become an actual a, a very attractive option for for a seller looking for their next marketplace opportunity. Yeah, and that that sixty five million is our income. So the actual basket value through the marketplace was over a quarter of a billion pounds in twenty twenty two. That was double the year before. So I, I'm not going to guide people to expect us to double our turnover every year forever. Um, <laughs> but we certainly think this can be a multi billion pound company and a, and a major global marketplace. Um, as I say, because what we're doing is different. We offer something other marketplaces don't do. We facilitate internationalization. Now, what if, is, if reta- what so does that What does that mean? What? Because uh, obviously uh, Amazon facilitates internationalization in the sense that you've got Amazon Germany, Amazon France, Amazon Italy. What what sets Frugo apart there? Well, that's a good, good point. So, I mean, Amazon does little bits of what we do, that's for sure. But take exa- my uh, my Lakeland example. So we, we traded on Amazon. We traded on Amazon in the UK, and then we traded in Amazon France, and Amazon Germany, and Amazon Italy. And what Amazon required us to do was provide translations of all of our content into those marketplaces and to worry about the pricing of those products 
And so effectively we were carrying foreign exchange risk as, as a byproduct of that um, of that trading model. When you join Frugo, you, you have none of those issues. You you take the data you've already got, which may be in English and in British pounds, or it could be in German and Euros, or indeed uh, Swedish and in Krona. It, it really doesn't matter. We accept retailers in 30 countries and all the relevant languages and currencies. And um, Frugo ingests that data and then translates it to the target language of all the markets that you, the seller, say you can ship to. So you choose which countries you want to sell to. We do the translations. If there's currency repricing to do, we do that as well. Um, so we take the currency risk. We set the prices in those local markets. We do the marketing for you in those local markets. And we drive traffic to a Frugo website. And when customers choose to buy one of our seller's products, then they add into a Frugo shopping basket. Frugo takes the cash from the customer through our payment gateway. We screen for fraud. And only when all of that has happened do we pass the order to the seller and the seller then dispatches the goods to the customer. So when all that happens, the, the, the parcel travels, there's then a cooling off period, and then we set all the funds to the retailer in the currency that the retailer wants to be settled in, which they, they configure as when they open their and account. They get the price that they set, so they know that they've got control of, of of what they're going to receive when a unit is sold. They've set the purchase and packing price, although many choose to make that free uh, for reasons we can discuss later. Um, but the retailer is in control, but but at the same time, they're not incurring risk. So um, they don't pay us anything unless we deliver them a sale. We then deduct our uh, commission fee from money we took from the customer. We just remit net proceeds to the to the seller in much the same way as Amazon does on its marketplace, obviously, for third party. Yeah, and I think for anyone selling on marketplaces, the, the commission model's fair and and, and expected and, and understood. But what's nice about the the risk-free model is that you guys don't have any fixed fees or anything, so it really is, uh, you know, to quote the bad 90s commercials from the UK, no win, no fee. And I think that's a very attractive option because a lot of sellers use marketplaces specifically as a way of testing out new countries and new markets before they maybe take the step of introducing their brand there properly, so to say. Um, Frugo, Frugo does have a presence in a lot of what I would say are unusual countries or, or, or countries that might not be immediate next step expansion options for a seller. You know, typically a, a European or an American seller that's looking to expand internationally, you've always got like your, you know, your top 10, your Germany, your France, your Italy, your Spain, your maybe Australia, New Zealand, if, if you can solve the logistics hurdles there. But Frugo's present in a lot more countries. I mean, Bahrain, Kuwait, South Korea. Yes, 40 countries. And our customers are spread all over the world. So, but the European Union sort of dominates, yeah. um, but that includes the sort of peripheral countries like Norway and Switzerland, both of which are sort of the edge of the of the full European Union. So, what are the top marketplace, or what? Are, sorry, what are the top countries that you see sales coming in from? If we if we step away from the usual suspects, what are some unusual countries that perform really well through the Frugo marketplace? Uh, well, I'd say Sweden and Norway uh, okay. are are certainly strong, and I don't believe that is simply due to the relative low presence from Amazon, because Amazon does operate in those markets, but not in quite the same way that, that it does in, say, Germany and France. But 
Now, we, we have very successful businesses across all of the European Union countries. We've, we've seen significant growth from the east of Europe, for example, okay. recently. So you know, even though Allegro, for example, is argue, argued to be the dominant marketplace in Poland, we've seen triple-digit growth uh, in, in our Polish sales. Uh, wow. sim- similarly in Hungary and, and in the Czech Republic as well. So I think one of the things you said that I think is quite interesting to, to dwell on is is who are the marketplace participants? You know, when I, who, who's selling, I guess. Um, now we as a service provider can support virtually any business model seller in any product category. So if it can be sold and shipped legally, we can sell it. And so long as you can ship uh, single units to customers so you can sell direct to customer, then then that's fine as well. Um, but are you a brand? In which case you're looking for distribution. Are you a retailer? In which case are you a sole brand retailer or are you a multi-brand retailer? If you're a multi-brand retailer, are you selling other people's products and there you're competing on price and service, I guess, because you're effectively selling the same units that but somebody else is selling. So I think the which type of product you're selling is is less about category and more about intellectual property ownership and how you then take that uh, how, how more your go-to-market strategy then is. Interesting. So you, you mentioned that Frugo does uh, marketing on behalf of the sellers and you use the term solution provider, um, which I think is a, a fairly general term and, and, and can be thrown around a lot. I, I'd like to maybe dive in on that a little bit and look at what services or what solutions Frugo offers on top of being just a marketplace. We are effectively internationalization as a service. For, for retail businesses. So the sorts of businesses that flourish on Frugo have figured out how to sell domestically. So they've got good products, well-priced, competent shipping and customer service performance. So they've sort of hit all the e-commerce 101 sort of tick boxes, if you will. Mm-hmm. They then come on to Frugo and access our services, which provides them well, firstly, advice. So you can talk to people at Frugo. We like we like talking to retailers and prospects. I, I recognise dealing with Amazon can be challenging. I've done that. I know it can be extremely frustrating. Uh, uh, so, with, with that memory, we certainly have a, a a strong service ethos. So, once a seller has launched on Frugo, then we help them discover demand for their products by going through what we call an innovation phase, which is where we, as a marketplace, overinvest. Uh, in the marketing of those products in order to, to discover how appealing they are to the general marketplace, to the customer, you know, universe, if you will. Sorry, the word marketplace is... So this is specific now for, for brands, I presume? Well, no, well, for all of the assortments that we get. So a retailer could have a 1,000 SKUs, they could have 10,000 SKUs. Mm-hmm. Um, again, depending on who the audience is, so the rest, a SKU effectively means an option on a product, so... You know, a, a garment might come in various sizes and colours. Those would be the skews. The actual line is the garment itself. So they feed us that skew level data in their own language in, and provide prices in their own currency. And then we do the translation, we do the sales tax management, we do the local pricing, we do the marketing. And so, uh, and we do and on the payment collection, we're also doing fraud management. So. When a seller gets an order for Frugo, they know that we've done lots of work to get it. Uh-huh. Uh, so we've really earned our commission. But that 
is appropriate because it keeps our goals aligned with the seller's goal. We only make money when they make money. So uh, that keeps us really focused on making sure that we're delivering a great service for our sellers. So to, to come back to the topic of marketing, I mean, what, what does that actually, what does that include? Are you going there and doing, you know, have you got billboards up in the country or is it Google ads and Facebook ads or is it, uh, you know, Yandex and, and, and whatever the local search engines might be? Or, or what does that actually entail? All digital, so no okay. billboards. Um, but uh, it is a variety of different forms of digital marketing, mostly search engine marketing, much of which is paid, some of which is organic search. Okay, and so that makes me wonder because as a brand, if I'm evaluating marketplaces, and, and I'd like to maybe put your director of marketing hat back on for a minute. If I'm a brand evaluating marketplaces, one of my biggest concerns is is this going to be in line with the rest of my marketing strategy? How does it sit with my brand? It's hard. It's it's hard sometimes. For example, for a brand to start selling on Amazon because there's concerned concerns about you know will this cheapen the brand? But the other side of that coin is, of course, somebody's probably selling the products on Amazon anyway. So as a brand, maybe I should be taking advantage of all the different marketing tools I can have and, and take control of that and grab that bull by the horns. How can I, as a brand? be confident that the marketing Frugo is doing is in line with what else we've got going on? Or what would what would you say to somebody with that concern? Well, my brand, let's talk about a manufacturer who's sort of creating a, yeah. a product and then looking to, to distribute it. So one of the questions is there for what is the distribution channel internationally? Have they appointed distributors in certain markets? In which case, is that distributor effectively again to join the marketplace on their behalf and use this as a channel to market in that market? Or are you as a brand effectively coming in and effectively seeking to take over the e-commerce channel and allow the distributor that you've already appointed to just focus on the physical? And when we get into the legal side of this, you know, we're, as a brand owner, they're not understanding the nature of any franchising or uh, or distribution agreement is really, really important when it comes to channel strategy. But assuming that you've got the capacity to to, to act as an e-commerce agent, if you will, in, of your brand in, in other markets, then the obvious questions are going to be, well, what environment is my brand going to sit in and, and am I comfortable with that? And different marketplaces address this is differently. So you have Amazon that operates the multi-seller product page model where Effectively, lots of people can acquire the brand or the product and compete on price to sell it, which chases chases prices down but erodes margin in the process. Uh, and then you have other marketplaces that operate a more seller-centric model. He's famous for that, but Frigo does it too. So the product details page that represents your product uh, is a function of the content you supplied. So if you want better content, give us better content. Um, and, and we then translate it into that local market um but but the core of that content so the images uh, and the text description all of that is is in your control as a brand owner all we're doing is simply then taking it to another to another market and running advertising to get people to go and look at that product page that's really interesting so that's giving um that's giving people a lot of control and to the, to the example you mentioned with the manufacturer perhaps also having local distributors it can often be the case that this manufacturer could still drive those orders to their local distributor. They might market the product for sale and perhaps even be the seller of record, but they might then pass the order on to their local distributors to fulfill the sale and just keep them happy by giving them another sales channel that's because maybe the brand can't do B2C fulfillment on their own, uh, but they're happy to 
pass a feed on from their ERP to uh, to Frugo. Absolutely. And sometimes uh, distributors that were set up historically primarily to manage retail formats struggle with e-commerce. So there are lots of third-party logistics specialists who can provide storage and pick and pack and dispatch operation for brands. And we work with several of those. And uh, sometimes the distributor in a market can cope with that type of operation, but isn't very competent to digital marketing. And so therefore an agency or um, or even the brand itself operating centrally can uh, be the source of the demand so that the local distributor then uh, is responsible for fulfilling. But my only other remark on this, and again, this is a slightly technical answer, but occasionally the product does matter on Frugo. We're, we're trading um, across 40 countries, sort of effectively going from retainer country to customer country. So you can imagine there's a huge web of hops going on inside sort of a 40 by 30 matrix. And it does matter where the product starts its life because that's um, uh, relevant to sort of taxation rules. So um, in the example you gave of a local distributor being responsible for dispatch, then on Frugo, that would have to be set up as a distinct entity. So if you were a brand based in the UK working with a distributor in Sweden, that would have to be set up as a Swedish source of um, stock shipping from Sweden. Uh, whereas if you had all your stock in the UK and were shipping to a customer in Sweden, we would set you up as a British retailer with sort of GB pounds and uh, recognizing GB as the point of origin. So from the consumer perspective, uh, who, is, who is actually the seller of record? Is it Frugo? And then you're buying the product from the retailer in that moment? Or is the brand or, or distributor or whoever, are they the seller of record? Again, this is a technical answer, um, but uh, technically, uh, Frugo is the seller of record for the payment. So we're responsible for capturing the funds and passing those to the seller. Um, but the seller uh, has title of the goods and is the seller if the merchant of record as far as the product itself is concerned. And so title doesn't transfer until the point uh, order. The order has been sort of uh, confirmed by the seller as accepted. Um, but that also means that the seller is then responsible for any post-sale obligations rele relevant to the product. Okay, but and and does that mean then that Frugo have requirements around specific um, delivery documentation that has to be generated by the seller before they can, like a, a specific dispatch note or invoice or something, does it have to have Frugo's information on it rather than their own or? No, we don't require that. So we didn't transmit the contents of any documentation as part of the order um, response that we sent. Um, but which carrier a retailer chooses to use to ship their goods is entirely up to them. So we simply require that it reach the customer within our service standard and uh, we encourage the use of tracked and Good. express delivery options because we believe that gives the customer the best experience and ultimately the best long-term sustainable business for retailers. Um, so, but the, the actual route, the actual route that a, a parcel takes is the responsibility of the seller. So it might not be the preferred option, but then theoretically a seller using FBA could also use Amazon's multi-channel fulfillment to fulfill Frigo orders. They can, and then some do. I mean, it does sometimes create some noise, particularly if an item turns up in Amazon packaging that has been ordered from Frigo. That yep. does tend to create some noise, but um, and that's what I mean about long-term sustainability because that noise is going to come to the seller through the customer services channel 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's then work and cost for them to handle that. So they just need to make sure that when you're looking at these sort of point decisions on it, on one aspect of the customer uh, life cycle journey, that you're taking also a holistic end to end So you mentioned, uh, while we're on the topic of, of the logistics side of things, you mentioned before um, that most sellers or many sellers on Frugo do choose the free shipping model. A Obviously, at the moment in 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 the current climate, we're talk. There's a lot of talk around whether or not free shipping is a good thing to offer anyway, because of the environmental aspect of that, and maybe it encourages people to purchase or to be a little bit more conscious of what they're buying, and maybe not buying twenty products just to try them all on and send nineteen of them back. Obviously, free shipping also sort of implies free returns, which again has costs, and depending on the category you're selling in, can can quickly get expensive, but. I'm curious from your experience at Frugo, um, does it make a difference if it's free shipping or paid shipping? And and what are the reasons that you're seeing that, that make it worthwhile doing one or the other? So this is not a one size fits all answer. It's going to depend on the nature of the product, where it's starting from, where it's going to. Um, but it's a lever that sellers can, they are competing against other sellers, whether that's on Frugo or at the general market level and therefore need to make sure whenever shipping policies they're operating are competitive <laughs> now we offer or recommend sellers use free shipping and therefore absorb the cost of the shipping in the product price that they set in the first place but clearly that for some sellers makes more sense for them to disaggregate and to have a lower than otherwise would be the case selling price with the product and a, and a, what the customer would res, would perceive to be a reasonable shipping cost uh, as a supplement. The reason why this is worth experimenting with is that it is something most customers are most irrational amount is that an item that is to 1999 euros but then 399 shipping may actually be less preferred than an item that's priced at twenty four ninety nine free shipping. And that that you know the economist in me says that shouldn't be true, but it sort of is. Uh, the other thing I would say is that uh in an international model um where clearly the, the price of shipping from country to country varies, then again a decision needs to be taken as to whether to go average cost. Or whether to have a, like a core element to the supplement, so you might say, well, it's two ninety nine to everywhere in Europe, apart from Italy, where it's three ninety nine, because for some reason it's more expensive to to ship to. So Frugo allows sellers to 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 make refined settings um, in terms of how they price their shipping. Uh, it can be at a category level. It can be based on weight if if they're able to supply weight based items and uh, weight weight against the items. Um, and it can be geographical as well. Uh, last comment is we don't offer free returns, and so I think from your sort of the answer of your question about sort of discouraging sort of behaviour that is, should we say, wasteful, um, because we don't offer free returns. Returns are only customers' expense unless the item is shown not to be as described. Sort of uh-huh. item is effectively if the customer receives a different item to the one that was advertised, then. They're entitled to a free return, uh, but otherwise the customer pays free returns, and that that's going to be one of the reasons why the return rate on free is is typically in no single digits. 
So that, that was we'll, going to be my next question. What's what's sort of an average return rate? Or, or obviously it's about five across the whole marketplace. It's about five percent. Um, okay. So it varies by category, um, dip globally above, but five percent is pretty typical. So what categories is Frugo strongest in, and and which categories are you looking to grow? So we reflect consumer shopping, basically. So you know our customers look like the average internet shopper. The products look like the average internet basket. So. The biggest single category is fashion footwear, um, home and garden, health and beauty, and then it descends into a longer tail of smaller categories like uh, automotive and jewelry. Okay. Um, but essentially, very similar to the, if you looked at global statistics of the uh, value sales in e-commerce in particular categories, and then sort of expressed that as a pie chart. That's going to look like fruit then. Interesting. That's, I mean that that makes sense. Being a being a generalist marketplace, I guess across uh, with 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 all of the major categories. Um, I'm I'm curious if there's. I was curious if there are some categories that perhaps perform well in the non-typical countries. Well, I think. So my this is now my hypothesis. Okay, so this isn't gospel. This is this is <laughs> sort of Tony Preeti's belief system. But that is that the nature of shopping has changed. So when I started out my career, thought about retailing as about assortment management, about sort of how wide, how deep you were going to go and pricing and distribution policy and so forth. And you imagined that what people were going to do was either walk into a shop and look at a catalogue, sort of turn the pages, they were going to go through the entire range, they were going to shop for that range and going to Basically, make their decision, their purchasing decision, centered on, firstly, I'll go to a seller, and then I'll have a look at what they've got. And that sort of isn't true anymore. The typical mode for shopping is now search-based and is item-centric. So somebody will go into a search engine on their phone, they'll type in, often not even a product, they're often looking for a a solution to a particular problem. (laughs) And uh, what will be returned is relevant data from Google, Bing, uh, whoever and included in that will be some advertising and that advertising will take customers directly into the product details pages for the items that were advertised and so vir- on Frugo virtually nobody comes to our front page uh, virtually nobody types something into the search box we're not a destination in that respect what we are is extremely good at getting um, very relevant product details in front of people looking for that specific item. And so people are landing on a product details page is the first page they see on the marketplace. So it, I call it atomic shopping. It's like shopping at the lowest possible unit. Um, and of course, once they land on the marketplace, we will cross sell. So we will show them relevant other items, items from other sellers, items from the same sellers, trade up options, trade down options, and so on. But the thing that got them to Frugo in the first place was because somebody typed something into a search engine and saw a Frugo ad. Did, did um, Lakeland sell on Frugo? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, or they didn't, rather. Um, and I think in part, uh, back in back five years ago, Frugo was probably not really big enough to um, for that to be a priority. And so at the time, whilst... Um, I did look at Frugo. I, I at the time chose to prioritize selling on Amazon and eBay. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard, um, it's hard work because Lakeland's got a, a pretty big uh, product range, right? And constantly changing and... It hasn't, it, yes, it's got a few thousand items in its assortment at any given point in time. Um, but I think it's also to do with how you integrate with these marketplaces. So when we did the Amazon and eBay um, integrations there, they were they were bespoked, but um, not by a, a sort of... A, uh, an integrator, if you were a multi-marketplace integrator. I think today, if I was making the same decision again, I would go via one of the data aggregators that are in the market because mm. it's a sort of doing once and then get the benefit of distributing to tens, even hundreds of marketplaces potentially around the world with synchronization of inventory management and pricing and so forth all provided by, by that platform. Well, I'd agree with you there, but I'm biased. But uh. well, I, I think that is the case. And, and whilst when we look at Frugo, uh, we do have many sellers who connect to us directly, and you can be taken through that process. Our our integration team helps people to plug plug themselves directly into us. Yeah. Um, the majority come in via a third party. So I'm curious about the the Google advertising side of things, or the or the digital marketing side of things. Because it sounds like this is a very granular process where someone somewhere is taking some time to really figure out what these products are and how best to market them on search engines. Is that a human approach or is it is it just part of the machine that is Frugo or how is how is that handled operationally? Thankfully, we have a hundred million SKUs currently on the platform. Wow. We don't do this. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, so no, you can imagine. So back, back in my previous jobs, we would have trading meetings where look at what we're selling and not selling. And we do have a form of that at Frugo in the sense that we do have reporting that, that shows us top performing sellers, top performing categories, top performing products and so forth. Um, but no, this is algorithmic. This is this is automation. Uh, this is data processing at huge scale. Um, our systems are handling thousands of database updates per second, which is sort of how the Frugo machine really adds value to, to sellers. Um, because we're operating real-time pricing, um, we're adjusting inventory in real-time based on the feeds that sellers give us, we're publishing that out to various third parties to generate the traffic results in sellers' products being bought. Um, so the, the Frugo engine, if you will, is purring away at a fairly high RPM um, because it's doing a lot of work. So a hundred, a hundred million SKUs. That's that's a lot of competition for a seller to differentiate. But it also means that there's going to be a lot of a lot of traffic coming to the site from these search engines. Does Frugo offer any kind of sale events or any sort of opportunities for sort of additional marketing, whether it's sort of PPC on the Frugo site itself, or you know, sale days that would be equivalent to like a, a Prime Day or a Black Friday or something along those lines? So we provide sellers with a sliding scale for the um, effectively the commission they pay us. So we call it the commission dial. And what sellers can do is is experiment with changing the commission uh, to discover how much additional sales they get as a result. And um, it can create a virtuous circle where sellers that. Um, because we, we feed all of the additional money uh, into the algorithm and the algorithm effectively adjusts its bidding strategy according. So sellers that have a higher than standard rate of commission is seen more often 
they get bored more often. That creates a feedback mechanism within the algorithms that accordingly they seem more often, bored more often. Um, so there are many things that influence who gets bored. Commission is one of them. But I would also say that product price matters. So ultimately sellers are competing, not really on the Frugo marketplace, but in the internet <laughs> marketplace generally, sort of more Google, shall we say, for um, the sale of this product. And I think the product information really matters. I think this is a much under-focused on aspects of, of e-commerce, that the content really matters. Ultimately, it's the content that is being used by the search engines to determine the relevance of any given search query to any given product. And so the richer the product description, the more likely that is to uh, to, to result in the, in the engine determining that match. So sometimes when sellers are saying, well, do I need to reduce my prices in order to sell more? The answer may well be, no, actually what you need to do is improve the quality of your product content. Uh -huh. So I therefore always encourage sellers to take a really hard look at the quality of the data that they're supplying to marketplaces and, and often would encourage them to use some form of product information management system in order to support them being uh, the way in which they uh, develop and enrich that product content because it is massively margin accretive. Yeah, I, that's that's really singing our song. I mean, that's that's exactly what what we're saying to sellers all the time because it's no good giving Amazon data to Frugo and the same thing to eBay. So, I think there's a lot to be said for really optimizing the product content on a per channel basis, but. That is also true for sellers who are used to dealing with uh, with multiple marketplaces. That's an issue that they've hopefully already uh, found a solution to. Yeah, I mean, I think the optimization of content per marketplace is, is if you will, chapter two. Chapter one is actually do some content in the first place. They're always amazed at how poor the product content for some items is um, that's fed to us. And... You know, a good example is, is sellers who use, for example, Shopify or BigCommerce. They've got a perfectly competent website and the product details sort of make sense in the context of that website. But then devoid of that context on a marketplace like Amazon or eBay, the richness of that presentation falls away often. Product content is, is somewhat sparse and then the, uh, the brand wonders why it doesn't sell as well as it could. So product data management is that again speaks for a PIM because part of the reason for that is obviously that on platforms for building a website or for content management systems in general, you're usually limited as to how many custom attributes you can have. And you know, let's say you're allowed to have 15 custom attributes, you might have an Amazon title and an Amazon category and an Amazon something else, maybe also the next marketplace. But then if you're selling on 15 marketplaces, you just can't use Shopify or BigCommerce as a PIM for all of that product data, so you do need something external. Well, I, I'm sort of going back to where my career started. You know, I talked about sort of 30 years of direct marketing, and I think this is, I guess, I, I'm the product of that experience. Uh, uh, this belief that copywriting really matters, that the old principles of direct marketing that were sort of discovered in, or rediscovered, I guess, in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, um, because direct marketing, I think, goes back a century or more to the sort of off-the-page advertising in some national newspapers. If you trace the, the, the origins all the way back there, 
Um, but copywriting really makes a difference. And converting a customer is about emoting about the products. And if you're the originator of that product, you want to convey the enthusiasm and excitement you've got for it uh, to the customer. Because ultimately, that's what they want to buy it. And that's something that's really great for brands when selling on marketplaces specifically is because if you do as a brand give up that control to retailers if that retailer is also selling products from 10 or 15 or 100 other brands they're not incentivized to have a unification of that brand messaging whereas if you as a brand as i said before grab that bull by the horns and say okay you know what we're going to sell on marketplaces we're going to even just create the product content for marketplaces and we'll create Frugo data and Walmart data and Otto data and Zalando data, and we'll give that to our retail customers and they can sell it. They can use this data to effectively sell our products on marketplaces, or they can sell themselves. That last part's kind of irrelevant who the actual seller and, and shipper of the product is, but by getting that product data right for the channel and, and getting uh, and making sure that each marketplace is able to be a continuation of that marketing message is kind of a no-brainer. Well, I think brands certainly are struggling with this, particularly where they have established distribution channels and partners and sometimes fragmented organization structures where people who manage the physical channels are distinct from the people who manage the digital channels. So I, I, I don't think it's fair to say it's a no brain. I think there's quite often a lot of stuff that's going on in these organizations. But I guess if we sort of distill it, Marketplaces are a significant incremental sales channel for most companies because they're underexploited in most companies and are incremental. So if you're selling in the UK, the likelihood you're going to get a customer in Sweden or Norway is very low unless you come on through. Uh, come on through, you know, we're going to create for you genuinely incremental orders, I say, uh, at profit. You know, so we're, we're we're effectively a bottom line enhancer because you won't lose money if you sell through because of the economics of the way we do it. And it's an order you weren't otherwise going to get. So it's it's essentially free on. What a great final message there! I think we can begin to wrap this up. I do have one final question for you that I think um, also is is something that a lot of brands face, and it's it comes back to your time at Lakeland from your perspective as a director of marketing with this omni-channel approach and now with the marketplace experience you've been able to collect over the last few years would you have any advice for somebody that's managing a business of that type that's now looking at marketplaces as a new business model are there any sort of pitfalls that you think that they could be that they should be aware of or any any tips or advice to help them succeed on that marketplace journey well start would be my number one advice uh, I, I think you can analyze yourself to paralysis if you're not careful. Uh, I think the barrier to entry on trading on all of these platforms is, is pretty low. And uh, I think Amazon is a worthy channel to market if, for some businesses. You know, there are lots of sales conducted on Amazon, not only in the UK, but in many markets. And so for many businesses, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an option they can't ignore. Um, but then I wouldn't ever just stop at Amazon. You know, I think there is a concentration risk if too much of your business becomes dependent on that one party. Uh, so diversify, you know, add more marketplaces until 
adding more just that. Um, but I'm confident to recommend Frugo to virtually any business because very few have the global reach that we have and, and therefore we offer something different. Uh, we, we provide orders that you weren't otherwise going to get. Uh, and that I think is the, is the quick, is the true question. If I was a late is what's the, um, most likely next action that's going to generate the incremental bottom line. Um, and the, and the challenge there is often about competition for resources. You know, it's like, well, adding Trugam would have made perfect sense, but there were 10 other things to do. And I guess that's, that's always the, the, uh, the choice that a lot of marketing managers and e-commerce managers have to make is, is prioritization. Um, but I think, uh, cross-border e-commerce is booming. Marketplaces are booming. E-commerce is booming. Uh, even you know, on, the, on the long term, so ignoring the fluctuations of sort of a year on year with COVID, COVID and so forth. But um, if e-commerce is inflating far faster than physical retail, therefore getting to e-commerce marketplaces, but is inflating much faster than their own brands. Commerce therefore get onto marketplaces and cross-border. Is growing far faster than marketplaces are generally not growing. All the commerce industry is growing, so make sure you're exposed cross border. So that would be my key message. Really. And each of those different pieces of that puzzle all lead to Frugo being a fantastic option to expand via marketplaces and internationally. So I think that's a fantastic way to wrap it up, Tony. So thanks, Jesse. Thank you very much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it and look forward to doing this again sometime. Cheers. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did and that it gave you the information that you need to help figure out if Frugo is a relevant channel for you. If you'd like to find out more or want to start selling on Frugo, feel free to reach out to me directly to see if eChameleon can help you with that. In the meantime, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in and see you next time.